Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. The sponsors of this bill say that kids shouldn't be allowed to transition and that it's tantamount to child abuse. How do you respond to that? I would say that my child's transition started with a pair of boys' swim trunks and a, t- and a shirt. For me personally, I would like to stay in the Missouri Ozarks um, just to be sort of a beacon of hope. I'm not questioning me being a gay Republican. I'm questioning if I'm a Republican. On Friday, Missouri lawmakers flung papers into the air inside the state capitol as they celebrated the end of the 2023 legislative session. There was jubilation, smiles, camaraderie, which was quite the contrast to the fierce debates and criticism lawmakers had lobbed at one another just a few hours before. So what were they celebrating exactly? Our St. Louis Public Radio politics team was on the scene last week before those sheets got tossed. Here to talk about the dramatic end to the session is STLPR State House and Politics reporter Sarah Kellogg. Sarah, welcome back again. (laughs) (laughs) Good to be back, Elaine. Your colleagues, uh, Jason Rosenbaum and Rachel Lippman, and photojournalist Brian Munoz, too. We're down at Jefferson City with you last week. Your latest piece on stlpr.org describes the legislative session ending, quote, with a thud. What did you mean by that? Well, that was more of my colleagues' words, <laughs> and I was, I'm going to throw Jason in there. But I think a lot of it was there were a lot of issues left still kind of on the table in that last week. And honestly, in, in the one that we're going to actually talk most in depth about later, uh, none of them really happened. Uh, initiative petition reform, change of the Constitution, sports betting, uh, owner, uh, foreign ownership of farmland, uh, issues regarding either this, a special prosecutor or state-controlled police. None of those made it across the finish line. So I think, and, and a lot of that was just due to infighting within Republicans in the Senate. So I think that's kind of what we meant in general by a thud. Right. And Republicans control both the House and the Senate. So how exactly did these priorities end in anything other than, I don't know, like a symphony or whatever the opposite of a thud would be? <laughs> Well, I, I think part of it is just when you get to have a supermajority, you just get a very wide range of what being a Republican or being a conservative should look like. And there's a mm-hmm. variety of how far to the right some lawmakers are willing to go versus others. And so I think it's harder to govern when you do have kind of that wide range. And that was seen on Saturday where there were some lawmakers who really wanted their priorities done and they didn't and they were willing to hold up things in order to get it done. So I think that's kind of maybe why, even though there is a supermajority and also with the Missouri Senate having a very, very unique filibuster, I think those are reasons why maybe a lot of that didn't get passed. And what is it that's unique about it? Well, I I think that, you know, I used to cover the Arkansas legislature. And, Mm -hmm. for example, there is not really a strong filibuster, if at all. There are time limits like it is in the House, the Missouri House. You only have 15 minutes to talk. And ending debate, which is called a previous question motion, is very common in the House. It is possible to do that in the Senate, but it is rarely, if ever, used because it is seen as just not courteous to your other senators. And Mm so the Senate just... A lot of times if they don't have an issue that they like, they can they can talk for hours if they wanted to to stop something. And and, and most of the time that 
ends in compromises, but sometimes that just means stuff doesn't get done. Right. So speaking of stuff that didn't get done, you went through that list uh, just a moment ago, and it included child tax credits, again, that foreign ownership of farmland, sports betting, open school enrollment, state takeover of the St. Louis Police Department. Do you think that there was anything else sort of beyond the infighting that you were talking about that really bogged these down? Like, were there things specific to these to these proposals that just, you know, made it not work? Well, a lot of them just were not bipartisan. So I think if there was kind of a general consensus for these and didn't need compromise, I think that could have helped. I mean, for example, the state takeover of the police at first that was, you know, rolled up with the special prosecutor language, you know, that filled Dem- Senate Democrats filibustered that for nine hours. Uh, the issue on child uh, child care tax credits, that was a Democratic bill that had bipartisan support, but a handful of Republicans on the Senate side blocked that and stopped it from moving forward. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is also just that they aren't bipartisan issues and it was always going to be tougher to get those through yeah. um, than other bills that maybe just didn't do, you know, it, it didn't have as much of a splash that makes sense. Now, Republicans tried to make it harder to change the state constitution, but the Senate didn't take up the measure. Why did Republicans try to pass this? And what are the consequences of its failing? Well, I mean, I think this was considered a priority for both chambers. Um, It was if if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first things that the House Republicans sent over to the Senate um, that was that important to them to make it harder to amend Missouri's constitution. So right now it's a 50 plus one, basically, if you get something on the ballot. You know, it requires a lot of signatures, a lot of time to get something on the Missouri ballot. But once it's on the ballot, it's a 50 plus one. And that was the portion that I think, you know, there have been other attempts of maybe trying to get more signature requirements. Um, But ultimately, I think lawmakers decided on the 50 plus one was the thing that they wanted to add the most because I think that was the easiest hurdle, I think. Mm -hmm. So there was attempts to raise that to about, I think it ended up being either 57 or 58. I apologize. I can't remember. But that was the ending number that the compromise language was on. Mm -hmm. And they just didn't, the House was able to take it up, but the Senate just didn't have the time just due to the infighting and just the the filibustering. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's very possible they could have gotten it done last week, but they just didn't. So speaking of fighting and battles, one of the most notable moments of the session seemed to come out of nowhere, or at least from a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) That's when Missouri Senator Bill Eigel, Republican from Weldon Spring, said the legislature had reached a, quote, Darth Vader moment, whereby members had to choose between going toward a path of good or version that stands for tyranny and oppression. So Sarah, how did Darth Vader get involved in Missouri politics? I think Darth Vader got involved in politics because I think there was just a lot of uncontent, unhappiness that a lot of members of priorities, including Eigel's himself, did not get past the finish line. I think the, his biggest stick, the biggest thing he couldn't let go was not being able to pass personal property tax cuts. That is, That was the biggest thing he wanted to get done. And it showed that on the last day, that wasn't going to get done. And so mm-hmm. for him, you know, he spoke on a Darth Vader moment and he had to clarify a little bit later that it was the Senate, not himself, that had that Darth Vader moment. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was the fact that whether or not they were going to move forward in these policies that are popular, you know, that he believes are on the, you know, that are on the Republican platform and are popular with the constituents, like lowering or eliminating personal property taxes versus passing sports betting, which he pointed out on the Republican platform expansion of gambling is not (laughs) on that platform and so that was kind of his point it was a very interesting metaphor to say the least but that's kind of how we got there certainly memorable now there were (laughs) two bills uh, two measures that did pass and both are designed to restrict the lives of trans people and their families one affects who can get gender-affirming care and the other 
who can play on school sports teams. Sarah, tell us more about each of those. Sounds good. I think I'll start with the sports bill. Um, so this would limit um, uh, students or uh, school athletes, basically athletes who play on school sports. Uh, trans athletes would no longer be able to play on sports teams that align with their gender identity. This would apply to both public private and charter schools, and it also goes through the collegiate level. So it's really vast. It's going to be super interesting. We'll get into it of what that means for private schools mm-hmm. and, and universities. Um, so that's the sports bill. Um, and then we can get into like kind of the limitations of that in a second. And then overall, the second bill uh, basically limits any transgender minors, so anyone under 18, from ac- accessing certain forms of gender-affirming health care, including puberty blockers, including uh, hormone treatment, including uh, surgeries, which are very rare. Uh, that would block them from be able to do that until they are 18. So those are the two bills. And what were the reactions to those two bills passing? And you'd mentioned something about talking more about the limitations. Tell us more about that. So yeah, so I mean, the reaction was very bipartisan. I mean, or not bipartisan, very along party lines. Let me get this right. Long party lines. Uh, Republicans had said this was a, a priority for them. And it's interesting of the major priorities, this was the one that got done. Um, which, you know, it also had the idea of a threat from Governor Parson to have a special session. So this was, on you know, this was probably passing either way, whether it was through regular session or in a special session. And then Democrats were vehemently against it. Um, but I will say with the Missouri Senate, as I was talking to you about the filibuster, that leads to compromises or basically making bills to where Democrats feel like they could have been a lot worse. So for the sports bill, for example, that bill, once it goes into effect in August, expires after four years and it won't be in effect anymore. Um, similarly, with the health care bill, Um, The ban on uh, hormone treatments and puberty blockers, that also expires after four years once it goes into effect in August. Mm -hmm. It also allows for trans minors who will currently have prescriptions or, or, or or currently have treatment for puberty blockers and hormone treatment, they will continue to have to be able to have that treatment. They don't have to stop. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the concessions that Republicans gave to Democrats in order to get that through the Senate. Now, the focus on bills that affect trans people seems to be making at least one lawmaker question his place in the Republican Party. Jackson County Republican Chris Sander, who's one of two openly gay Missouri lawmakers, voted against these anti-trans bills. And he said that the party has to decide whether gay and transgender Republicans are welcome. I'm LGBTQ questioning my party at the moment. I'm not questioning me being a gay Republican. I'm questioning if I'm a Republican. Sarah, were you surprised by Sanders' statement there? Well, I think that he has voted against these bills um, kind of repeatedly throughout the session, uh, both the House versions and, and then eventually the Senate versions. Um, and I know that he stood on the House floor for quite a, for the entire debate on the last day. He had his hand up basically in his piece of paper and handwriting to speak, and he was not called on. And I think there was a lot of just just anger or, you know, just not being able to be recognized by your own party to speak on something. And he did. He was one of three Republicans who voted no against the, the health care bill. And I think only two, one of two on the sports bill, I believe. Um, so I, I, I think it's interesting to see that he's questioning whether or not he's a Republican. I don't know if he'll be a Democrat. I think he might go to being an independent or just not have a party. But it's, it says a lot when you have when you're a part of that community and you're not heard, um, I think it shows a lot. Of, there was just a lot of disappointment that his side wasn't, you know, he wasn't able to express himself there. Mm-hmm. Sarah Calaga, St. Louis Public Radio State House and Politics reporter. You can read her takeaways from Missouri's legislative session on our website at stlonair.show. 
Coming up next, we'll learn how Missouri's focus on anti-trans legislation is affecting two families. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Before the break, we were discussing the end of Missouri's 2023 legislative session and how Republican majorities passed two new laws that restrict the lives of trans people. The new restrictions bar minors from obtaining gender-affirming care. A second law affects school athletes from kindergarten to college, requiring those students to play only on teams that align with their sex assigned at birth. These laws go far beyond politics. They affect real people and their families. And to talk about those in-real-life effects, we welcome A.J. Hackworth. A.J. is a trans man and a father living in Springfield, Missouri. A.J., welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And also here with us is Jake. He lives in St. Louis County and is the father of a nine-year-old trans boy. He asked us not to use his last name to protect his family's privacy. Jake, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, thank you both for being with us today. Jake, I'd like to start with you. How does the passage of these laws affect your son and your whole family? Um, well, we're having a lot of really hard conversations right now, um, trying to figure out how we're going to uh, find gender-affirming care for my son. He doesn't currently need it yet, so we don't fall in the, if you can start it before August, kind of loophole. Um, and then right now, my son's life is playing baseball. He's on a baseball team, a mm -hmm. year-round baseball team, and his baseball teammates are his best friends and he's really concerned that if he's outed or if something happens where he has to quit playing baseball that he would lose his friends. Mm -hmm. Now the gender affirming care side of this I'd like to hear from you about that. You know, your son is still years away from seeking things like hormones or surgery which major medical associations do support. The sponsors of this bill say that kids shouldn't be allowed to transition and that it's tantamount to child abuse. How do you respond to that? I would say that my child's transition started with a pair of boys swim trunks and a, t and a shirt. Hmm. And there's no harm in someone trying on boys clothes to see if they fit them better. Mm -hmm. um, my son, we've had many, many discussions that go much more in depth than what's being talked about in the legislature. And my son has already said, you know, I'm really not interested in changing my body uh, with surgery, but I don't want to be forced to go through uh, an unwanted puberty. And by banning gender affirming care for minors like my son, they have the state has ensured that these minors, once they uh, become adults, they will need surgery to alter their bodies without hormone treatment before puberty starts, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. So it's, I think that it gives us some useful context insofar as understanding what the, what a process would involve. AJ, Correct. you've been receiving gender affirming care for more than six years. What was your reaction to these bills passing? 
Uh, yes, I have been on hormones for a long time. Um, I'm 34 years old, so you know I started well into adulthood. Um, I've frankly been terrified of all of the legislation that has been proposed in Missouri. Um, and with the bill that affects hormone replacement therapy for children, um, it also affects adults who are uh, incarcerated in Missouri and who are on Medicaid. And unfortunately, I am one of the transgender people who are on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. uh, so I am concerned about uh, the cost of having to continue to uh, receive my hormone replacement therapy, my testosterone. Mm -hmm. So how has that impacted sort of the decisions that you're making day to day right now? Well, you know, I'm just trying to live my life, um, continuing to go to work, uh, continuing to parent my children, um, you know, just trying to live my everyday life. But there is this looming, um, you know, uh, the cost restriction of uh, trying to afford the... Uh, the testosterone when it comes due. Uh, it's essentially with uh, GoodRx, uh, $75 a month, which when you're making $100 a week, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's very restrictive. And so it's quite scary. Yeah. And can you tell us about, you know, how these last months um, have affected your trans friends and your community? The community has been quite scared as well, uh, particularly for those who haven't started hormones, uh, who are adults even. I have uh, some friends in the area and uh, within Missouri who uh, play sports and are transgender and are concerned that they won't be able to play sports um, even outside of the collegiate um, arena mm -hmm. and then i have other friends who have been saving money to start uh transitioning and like their medical transition later in the year uh, who have been very concerned about not being able to transition or who are trying to fast track their transition they've been planning it for years um but it's been you know very concerning for everybody mm -hmm. This note about sports, Jake, I, you know, I had a chance to meet your son. Your son loves sports, loves baseball. His transition did not change that. And when I met him, um, he even came to talk very proudly wearing his baseball cap. Now, how have things been with his coaches and teammates thus far? He's actually not out to his team right now, mm -hmm. just because that isn't really a safe situation for him right now, because we don't really know what everyone else on the how everyone else on the team feels about their child playing with a trans kid, and I would hope that the reaction would be positive, um, but it just is kind of an ever looming specter that we always have to kind of ignore and just ignores there and just hope that everything is going to be okay um, and just hope that he gets to still keep playing baseball. Most leagues, uh, in order to determine age, ask you to, to submit a birth certificate. So when we submit his birth certificate, it does say female on it. Mm. And so now I'm always worried that with every new year, um, some league, even though they're not 
you know, even though they could probably ignore the gender marker on his birth certificate, we're going to get the phone call or the email that because he was identified female at birth, he's no longer welcome to play in the league. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about here is a, a private league. We're not talking about school, but there's still an effect. I mean, how how do you, um, you know, how will you navigate that? And what is the relationship between Uh, just regular sort of private league play and then what goes on at school um, with competitive sports? Well, so I think those are both great questions. Uh, First of all, he is out at school. So the kids that remember him from when he identified as female and then came back after the summer identifying as male um, know that he's trans, but all the not all of the kids on his team are also kids at his school Mm -hmm. so there's there's not a whole ton of crossover there um and then we just kind of think things like um there are like little leagues that that allow boys and girls to play together or if there's one girl on a boys team they allow the team to play Mm co-ed but you know it's always just kind of worrying to me that we'll be singled out because we have a child we're you know letting play as a boy and just kind of now that, you know, before these laws passed, we felt like he was just kind of any other kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we kind of feel like he has a target on his back. And so um, we're kind of nervous for how it goes. He, yeah. He's very proud of his identity. So some he he wears a trans pride bracelet. Right. And and so sometimes and when he plays, he takes it off. And it's kind of like part of it is, you know, you're not supposed to play sports with jewelry on. But then the other part is on some level, he does have to hide his identity when he takes the field. Mm -hmm. Now, the bill seems targeted at kids just like your son. Jake, as his dad, what are your worries? And do they include possibly having to pull him off the team that he's he's enjoyed time and play with so far? Well, you know, I really... I really am proud to live in Missouri because I know that we're a state that values personal liberty. And so I really feel like I want to let my son play no matter what the laws say. And so I kind of go to the place of what's going to happen to my son if he gets caught playing baseball on a boys team. What's the recourse there? Um, Are we talking about some kind of exam for my child? because these bills were passed with the idea that they're gonna make Missouri kids more safe. But if we're talking about subjecting my child to some kind of exam that would potentially include like his genital area, Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine imagine that being a safe scenario. Yeah. Now, for each of you, you're currently in Missouri, and now that these uh, bills have passed, what is your future looking like in the state? AJ, how's it looking for you? For me personally, I would like to stay in the Missouri Ozarks um, just to be sort of a beacon of hope to other transgender people. Mm. Um, I am involved with uh, LGBTQ youth in the area, uh, and I try to just give them a safe space to just exist as who they are. And I'd like to continue to do that no matter how hard things get for me personally, Mm. but I most of my transgender friends and uh, families who have transgender children uh, do have escape plans or are developing escape plans to go to one of the refuge 
refuge states mm-hmm. um, or Kansas City, for example, who recently said that uh, came out and stated that they were a safe haven for LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a lot of uncertainty for the future. And if things do get worse for transgender people, I am formulating uh, sort of a an escape plan for myself and my family uh, just to make sure that, you know, my kids are safe as well as myself. Right. Jake, do you relate with any of that? I I relate so much with AJ, um, what AJ is saying right now. I kind of feel like these bills are designed to, to force uh, LGBTQ people out of the state by fear. Um, and I refuse to, uh, to bend to that fear. It's very tragic because um, I'm a teacher and I am strongly opposed um, to gun violence, but I'm feeling like, do I need to have a gun to protect my family? Like the whole situation has really turned me from kind of a very fun-loving, happy-go-lucky dad to now I go out, I go out with my head on a swivel, worrying, wondering about what the next thing that's gonna come up my son's way is because I'm being put in that mode of being protector all the time now. Mm-hmm. We're um, we're talking about um, care plans that uh, would involve care out of state and the the cost associated with those plans for our child. Um, and so, yeah, that it is it is something that is talked about a lot in my family and sometimes I just I love my son more than anything in the world but I am very jealous of families who don't have to worry about these things Mm -hmm. and I do want to underscore here that each of you uh, it's not a matter of just your child leaving or you and your child leaving you have families uh, you you live with here in this state thank you to each of you for joining us today jake is a st louis county resident and dad of a nine-year-old trans boy and aj hackworth is a trans man and father living in springfield missouri this episode was produced by danny wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by aaron door our executive producer is alex hoyer St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.